Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. On today's tour catch-up, Maxime Cressy serve and volleys his way to the Newport title. Serena Williams announces plans to play Toronto. And the ATP Tour starts trialling off-court coaching. Kim, today is the 18th of July and we are here to catch up on the week in tennis at Tennis Weekly HQ. Wimbledon is now over. We are back on the circuit on the ATP and WTA tours. And of course, there is a heat wave going on at the moment in London. And we we are already sort of talking about what our strategies are to stay cool whilst recording because it is feeling very, very tropical at the moment. It is. I mean, I've gone for a a hot fresh mint tea because I was reading (laughs) that that doesn't necessarily make you any hotter. In fact, it could cool you down. So I'm kind of sticking with my usual thing for when we record, which is to have a nice cup of tea. I don't know about you. That's just what I'm doing. I have literally got my bedside fan and just put it on the table and it's just inevitably just blowing warm air towards me. That is literally the best I can do. And it's not helped by the fact that I'm recording from like an attic room. So there's a lot of trapped hot air as well. So it's all a bit of a nightmare from from my book. I'm actually debating going into work tomorrow for the aircon. I don't know if any of our listeners are in this sort of quandary at the moment, but I'm genuinely considering going into work just for the aircon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're not really designed um, in our houses for for this conditions, you know. So, <laughs> I think anything you can do. I mean, I'm a big fan of the, like the cold flannel or t shirt around the back of the neck, which oh, I yes. I will be doing tonight as I try and get. You some need sleep. to get the uh, you need to get the ice like the tennis players on the changeover. Yeah. Get the ice cubes in the towel, in the towel yeah. and then put some like rope or string around each end, and yeah. You're giving me, it's giving me, you remember when we were at the Australian Open those few years ago and uh, I remember watching Kyle Edmund out on one of the, on one of the outside courts in like, it was very much pushing the the limit they could, they could play, I think. And uh, <laughs> I just remember it being so hot and these conditions are just reminding me of, of the pain I was sort of going through watching, watching Kyle Edmund, hoping he was getting through, but also battling with the, uh, the weather at the same time. Yeah, I mean, it's tough enough sitting there being a fan, but I can't imagine (laughs) playing in this. I mean, you have a newfound respect for anyone doing professional sport in this. Um, Mm. But yeah, I know we have some lovely listeners in Australia and other hot places. So any tips welcome for helping us both? Maybe we're just coming across as really whiny and everyone's just being like, just just shut up and get on with the tennis. Yeah, I mean, okay, fine, we will. (laughs) We've had had tennis. Right, we've had our hot hot weather moan uh, over, but yeah, Yeah. let's, let's... Let's look at the tennis. We're not British if we don't talk about the weather before we do anything else. So, right, <laughs> tennis it is. Tennis weekly, we are. Uh, let's start in Newport, Joel, because we had the Newport Hall of Fame open out in Newport, Rhode Island. Very nice little place in the world, I have to say. And uh, this was won by an American home home player. Um, third time lucky for Maxime Cressy, actually. Um, he won his third Sorry, he won his first title on his third attempt in a, in a final, um, beating Alexander Bublik in the final last set tiebreak. Classic. Um, uh, <laughs> and actually got <laughs> off to a terrible start. Um, mm. He barely got a game on board in the first 11 games, uh, lost nine of them, but certainly came back and it went down to the wire and he was able to get the job done um, in that last set tiebreak. So well done, Maxime Cressy. Yeah, he was, I think, 6-2, three love down, Bublik was in the ascendancy. His serve, which you know is obviously a bedrock of his game, we know Cressy for his serve and volley old school tactics. But I think he got broken in his first service game, and that was really the one of the key reasons he you know he got to the final. He had a very good win against John Isner in the semi final, and his first serve in particular was a reason for that. And uh, yeah, in the final, it just was not firing. Um, you know, in that first set, and and Bublik was playing some very smart tennis. And you just thought that this was going to be Bublik straight sets. Uh, you know, he's been playing well this season and I thought he was going to go on to win it. But it was one of those big momentum shifts where we saw Bublik's game slightly drop and Cressy managed to find, you know, his free flowing game. And, uh, it, you know, it really kind of turned in that second set and Cressy eventually was able to get it done in a, in that third set tiebreak. And I know Bublik was a bit kind of 
disappointed, perhaps frustrated with himself in the the ceremony afterwards. Because I think he said Cressy was lucky, and you know it was all it was all luck that was had to do with with Cressy's performance. But um, I think that was a bit I think that was a bit harsh. But I think yeah, Cressy was able to find his game at the right moment, and I think it's great because he's got such a unique and distinctive game, hasn't he, Kim? Mm-hmm. Serve and volley. And we don't we don't normally see very many serve and volley players go on and actually win on the tour yeah he's a very entertaining player to watch you know partly Mm. because his style is quite unique and an original in in this sort of uh, era that we're in Um, I think yeah it was a classic combination of him just sort of remaining pretty calm and just upping his game and and public like dropping his level so but I think that's a bit harsh of public to say oh it was all luck because you know you do partly make your own luck you've got to I mean it doesn't surprise me he said no (laughs) it was kind of weird actually because I think you know I've seen clips of of public he's another you know entertaining character and he's actually been I think you know times I've seen him for example he played Murray earlier on in the season and, and, and lost to him he did defeat Murray um in this tournament but I remember him being quite graceful in defeat so I was a little bit surprised he came across as a bit of a sore loser I thought in the uh in the ceremony afterwards yeah and sore losers that's just that's not a good look is it a sore loser but um (laughs) Cressy was certainly joyful winner um he's achieved like one of the things that he was really aiming for which is uh essentially like to be seeded at the uh the US Open he said that he'd love to be in that position and he basically I think it's pretty certain that he he will be um so that's that's you know fantastic for him and you know for American tennis fans will be seated at his home slam I think he's going to be up to 33 uh in the the rankings now now that players can win ranking points again Joel how exciting <laughs> <laughs> and yeah no, this is an interesting stat nobody in the top 50 has climbed uh, you know, up in the rankings more than uh, Maxim Cressy so far this year. So well done him. What I love about that, Kim, is do you remember at Wimbledon, he, he had that match and he was just shouting out, I hate tennis. I'm going to retire from tennis. And lo and behold, like a few weeks later, he's gone on and won his, his first tour title. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> thank God he didn't uh, give up. <laughs> thank God he didn't retire. No, it just shows, I think, the, you know, the you know, how things how things can turn on the tour and uh, you know Cressy's game it is very well suited to you know the, the grass courts and I do love this event it's such a it is such an odd event in the sense that Wimbledon has happened and you think that's it for grass court tennis oh no uh, actually there's a as one more grass court event um you know afterwards I'd quite like to see though just one more British grass court event I feel after Wimbledon if we're going to have this one in in the United States I feel like we could have one you know, one extra 250 maybe in, in the UK, but it's such a unique style event. It obviously attracts all the all the big servers. And uh, yeah, Maxime Cressy came out on top. Yeah, actually, it would be cool to have one in the UK after Wimbledon because people who mm. kind of get into Wimbledon, they might then be able to go and see some live tennis, um, I guess, kind of jumping on that bandwagon. <laughs> what do you make of these these events that are after the main event? Do you think they're a bit pointless or do you think like there is there is merit for them I you know I understand that the Hall of Fame Open in Newport it's a little bit different because there is that side of it going on you know Leighton Hewitt for example was I think inducted into the Hall of Fame this week so there is kind of a a reason I guess for it but do you have any views on kind of these small 250s events that that immediately come after the Grand Slam on the same surface is it a bit weird or, or do you think you know they certainly have a role you know on the tour i mean with this one being grass you couldn't have it before wimbledon because that would just disturb everyone's schedule mm. like being you know in the states different different continent so i understand why it's after and i think obviously it's such a historic venue and people are going over to the like to north america anyway for the start of the u.s swing so they're kind of like oh I'll just play one more week on grass um although you know you might have been knocked early out of wimbledon and then you've kind of could switch to hard courts and try and you know practice more I I guess it depends I think if you're a grass court specialist like some players and you love your grass courts then Mm. you know this is you want to make the most this is almost one of those grass court tournaments you really would like to win maybe at some point because it is such a old like historic club venue it's like really small very intimate Mm. and obviously for a lot of American players it's, it's one of their home tournaments so they do need to sort their TV cameras out though. Watching it on the on the television, it was very hard to do. I felt their camera was like 
miles and miles up in the sky very hard to trace the the ball as well so yeah it was um it is a you know it is a nice tournament it's got a really nice setup um but yeah it was a little bit hard i think tracking the ball on on the tv and kim i enjoyed you said you know it it would affect the the schedule of the players and you know it would you know not be ideal for it to go from you know new york to you know to wimbledon in in the uk well alexander bublik went from wimbledon to the usa to play newport and then he's going back to Europe to play Hamburg. So figure that one out in terms of scheduling. Uh, he must love a long haul flight. That's all we can say. <laughs> <laughs> he's going for, he wants the air miles. That's it, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was just talking about Wimbledon players, you know, that did well at Wimbledon. We had uh, Tim Van Reithoven losing in the mm. first round. I mean, what was all that about? What, what's going on, Tim? I uh, lost to yeah. Mitchell Kruger in three sets. Uh, so I was a bit disappointed about that. Um, 15 minutes of fame is over, Kim. His career, <laughs> oh, his career has peaked with that one set off Novak Djokovic I, on centre court. I hope not. Um, but Jason Kubler did well getting to the semi-finals mm. and he did well at uh, Wimbledon. And mm. um, Max Purcell, you know, obviously lost to Andy Murray. But um, I remember when he, he took the first set off, off Andy <laughs> and you were like, what is Max Purcell <laughs> doing? And I was like, well, he is a Wimbledon champion. Like he won the doubles. Wimbledon so. doubles champion, Kim. I was... I was nervous. I was scared. And, you know, yeah, I, I think for Murray, it was, uh, you know, it was a decent showing. He got to the, you know, he got to the quarterfinals. He managed to put two consecutive wins together um, in a main draw. I feel like earlier on in the season, it was like, have one win, have one loss, move on to the next tournament. So it was nice to see him get two two wins. It was interesting, I, I think, against Purcell because ultimately he did kind of come through that convincingly in the end he he won four six six two six one but I felt like that was an opponent where he maybe hadn't really had a lot of you know practice time against game time against and um you know he needed a little bit of that time to kind of figure out just what the the Purcell game was about and I think you know given he was full of confidence given he won the, the you know the men's doubles uh, you know the men's doubles at Wimbledon the week before he was obviously in, in a confident mood but um, yeah Murray was able to get it done lost against Bublik in the quarterfinals but the fact that Bublik got through all the way through to the final and arguably should have won it I think again more encouraging signs for, for Murray and similar to, to Cressy you know he's he's got an ambition to, to be seeded for the US Open and hopefully he can yeah he can do something that, that Cressy achieved this week. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we also had completely different kettle of fish, Joel, uh, going to the clay of Europe uh, rather than the grass of North America at the Bastad uh, event out in Sweden, which a uh, friend of the podcast, sometimes co-host Chris was was at. Uh, so mm. I think we'll be hearing a little bit uh, from his time at the tournament later on. Um, but Chris was at the final. We had uh, Serendolo. Okay, well, I should say which Serendolo, wasn't it? Francisco <laughs> Serendolo. What has happened to Juan Manuel? Oh, I hope he's okay. But yeah, his his brother's <laughs> getting all the attention at the moment. He is, um, isn't he? Yes. Took a set off Rafa at Wimbledon. I was at that match. Mm. Uh, Francisco Serendolo against Sebastian Baez in the final. So two classic clay quarters, really, both Argentinian. Um, and yeah, it was it was straight set seven six six two to Serendolo. Um, they're both having pretty good seasons, really, and obviously both getting through to the final. Very good showings from from both. But I think really the the forehand of Serendolo. Um, kind of came out on top of this one. It was it was, you know, good hitting from both of them, but his uh, fortitude under pressure and uh I think saving all those break points as well um on his own serve was the key to him coming through in two sets in this this match. Yeah, it it really was all on that first set. I think it was set like 75 minutes. It was like no surprise to me two Argentinians clay court in a final. They were really going toe to toe each other and I think who was going to win that first set was ultimately going to have that momentum that was just going to kind of carry them through to the title. So I do think that first set was really, really pivotal to the to the outcome. And for Serendolo, as you said, I think he he played the big points well, and he was just very, very threatening with his his forehand in particular from the the back of the court. Um, I think this is a player who has come on has come on leaps and bounds. They both have. I think you know last year this time they were both in, in challenge on the challenger circuit reaching challenger finals. So I think it's great to see players go on that transition and it shows that I think players, you know, can 
make a name for themselves on the, the ATP tour, having you know plied their trades and come up through the ranks, um, you know, on the on the challenger circuit. So it's great to see, I think, two finalists from from that perspective. But um, yeah, for Serendolo, really, really, really great. And you know, I think both those both players will will have been playing with with so much confidence, given you know how their seasons have gone. And the fact that they are also, I think, knocking on the door, both of them on the, you know, the top top 30 in the rankings. But um, yeah, Serendola was just that that little bit much better on the day. And I think I think he also made the most of the Sebi Baez second serve as well in that second set. I think Baez, we all know his kind of comparisons to Diego Schwartz, but I feel like they're getting stronger and stronger by the day, Kim. But I do think his serve is a little bit there for the taking to start off on the right foot on his uh, on his return games. Definitely something to improve on. Um, and I mean, another thing from this match, which um, I mean, we were tra- talking about before we started recording, was that match point. So a very slight mm. amount of controversy on, on the match point. I don't know if any of our listeners will have had the chance to see it, or if you haven't, maybe just kind of Google it now and have a look. But Serendolo appeared to see celebrate perhaps slightly earlier than he should have done, uh, because although <laughs> Baez's ball was going out, the ball hadn't landed and Serendolo sort of was falling to the floor, dropped his racket, ball touched racket prior to bouncing on the floor, which kind of meant, I guess, they should have played a let, but they then didn't. So Serendolo did win. But I don't know. It's kind of one of those things that you'd have to really watch it, I guess, to to probably see what I'm blathering on about. <laughs> I I mean, I watched it and and Chris Chris was there for the final and saw it. He was right behind the, uh, he was right behind where it took place. And um, you know, watching the replays of it, it should have been, should have been point to to Baez uh, based on based on what I've been told in tennis, kind of growing up playing as a junior. Um, I don't think it would have made a difference to you know the outcome of the match, but I would have thought the umpire, given you know it's his responsibility to watch the match, that would have been able to kind of clock this happening. I get that it's a completely freak thing, and I've never seen anything like this happened before. But um, yeah, it was just all all very bizarre. And I think Kim, it just it just tells you. Never celebrate too early because you never know what's going to happen. I mean, it would have been embarrassing if they had have made them replay that point and then mm. it had all gone pear-shaped for Serendolo. <laughs> Fortunately, it didn't. And It would have been funny if they had the ceremony and then some guy came out and said, well, actually, you've got to go, re- go back and replay that point. Everyone get off the court because uh, it was actually technically Baez's point and not Serendolo's. Yeah, really bad VAR kind of belated decision. <laughs> um, but yeah, well done, Serendolo. I mean, he came through like some decent, decent players. I mean, pa- Pablo Carreno Buster, bit, bit, bit of PCB, who had thrashed Diego Schwartzman. Uh, mm. Serendolo, you know, dispatched him pretty comfortably. And uh, yeah, what was that about? PCB won and love over Diego Schwartzman. That is uh, on a clay court. That is a that was a result I definitely wasn't expecting. Yeah, and then. You thought PCB, oh, maybe this is his tournament to lose, mm. but obviously not. Um, and Serendolo getting the win over top seed uh, in Casper Ruud in, in the first, well, in the second, in the second round, I should say. Casper um, Ruud's not having the greatest time after his French Open final, is he? Uh, but we've seen this sort of thing happen before. Players have a bit of a peak and then a bit of a trough mm, afterwards. Dip. Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of of, of Sissipas with the you know the French Open last year when he obviously got to the final against Djokovic, um, you know, lost from from two sets up, and then I think had a slight kind of confidence um, you know dip there, and you could tell in his performances, and um, you know, you know, with Kasparud, I think they're all inevitably always going to be kind of parallels and, and similarities made, and uh, yeah, it was surprising I think to see him come into this. A tournament he's played well at before, top seed. I get, I get that Serendolo. That's quite a tough, you know, unseeded player in in the second round. You know, he's a, as I said, he's he's one of the players who's one of the most in form this, you know, over the over the course of this season. But um, yeah, for Kasparov, that will be a bit of a, a disappointment, given he was a top seed, given this was a two fifty. Given all the talk about how we we say that the you know the ATP two fifty clay events are really his home, um, yes, sort of disappointing. But I mean, it was quite a tight match. I mean, he lost seven five in the third set, so you know he's playing well. But um, yeah, it's interesting to see that sort of going back from that high of a Grand Slam final back onto the tour. It's not necessarily easier said than done, is it? Yeah, so much about, I guess, momentum as well. And, you know, you can mm. easily get into a, a bad run of form, which, you know, a certain player, Dominic Team, has certainly been in. But 
positive signs this week. He was able to get his first match win on the ATP Tour since all his, you know, elbow surgery and coming back. And he didn't get just one win, but two. So mm. really good win over Emil Rusevori. I mean, third set tie break. But then backing it up with a, another three-setter over Roberto Bautista Agut. And then losing in a three-setter to Sebastian Baez. So I think really encouraging signs for mm. Dominic Team. Just getting Exciting. back out there, winning again, hopefully will have done him the world of good. And I think also having so much match time, you know, you had three three set matches um and i think just more than anything yes victories mean that he kind of comes back the next day and has another match uh you know in in the event but certainly i think the the amount of time he spent on court the more i think it's just going to help with his kind of rehabilitation his his re-immersion i think back into the tour so yeah it's exciting to see him get to the get to the quarterfinals in bastad Absolutely. And let's move on to the WTA events from the past week, Joel, because we had, uh, well, we had Lausanne and we had uh, the Hungarian Grand Prix. Um, so we've had two different winners. Um, and well, let's start in Lausanne, shall we, where we had Petra Martic take home the title. Uh, straight sets over Olga Danilovic. Six four six two. Uh, Olga Danilovic having a great week as a qualifier, but um, falling short mm. to Martic, who obviously is a more more seasoned, experienced opponent has been there and done that, uh, you know, at WTA level before, um, winning her second. Although not for a long time. Not for a long time. This is her second career title, and it's come, oh, about a thousand, well, one thousand one hundred and seventy-six days after her first uh, WTA title. So, long time coming. Long time in between. <laughs> Yeah, she's uh, you know she's an in- interesting player. She had a very interesting career. She's very much a-, a player who's got a lot of, you know, a lot of experience. She's reached you know the top fifteen in terms of her rankings, but at the same time, she's only had two titles in her whole career, which feels a little bit for me a little bit shortchanged given you know given her ranking and given the you know, some of the performances she's put in. But certainly this week. Yeah, she had a very, very, very good week. She had a very, very good win against Belinda Bencic, the second seed in, in the quarterfinals. And then Kim, she came up against one of your faves, Caroline Garcia, in the semifinals, came through that as well. So, um, yeah, she definitely beat some informed players. And, uh, you know, it was nice to see her, I think, capture her second trophy. Yeah, she's a, yeah, as I say, she's a funny one. It's just, I just feel like she, should, by, at this point in her career, I feel like she should have had more titles but um you know she's getting back to maybe like a mini resurgence maybe doing a little bit of a caroline garcia but yeah good a good win in the final against uh, a qualifier who again had a very good tournament maybe she's having her own renaissance like caroline garcia (laughs) who you know the renaissance sort of restarted again she won three matches but it got paused in that semi-final but i'm sure it'll recommend soon um (laughs) yeah martic i mean like like you said she's been top 15 before i'm sure she's reached the odd quarter of a a slam and she reached i believe the fourth round at wimbledon just you know Mm. just a a couple of weeks ago and i think she lost to rebacana so obviously um technically you know a great great week there i do wonder if if martic was very kind of battle hardened mm. you know in the final yeah. she came through as i said garcia benchich and uh, she also came through parizas diaz in the first round so you know you compare that to danilovic who didn't i think face a seeded player all the way through to the, the final perhaps you know she was re- you know ready for the you know a really tough test and that was possibly one of the reasons why she was just able to kind of get it done quite convincingly I mean she hit 23 winners only 10 unforced errors and it felt like she really had a handle on the the Danilovic serve uh, she broke four times and and manufactured 10 break points so um yeah it was quite a comprehensive win in the end for for Martic and we had some interesting wins for uh well some Swiss wild cards who obviously were in the draw home tournament uh one of whom beat the top seed Danielle Collins in the first round so it's mm. good you know good week for Simona uh Valter she she made it through to the quarterfinals losing to Danilovic but um yeah getting that sort of long win over Danielle Collins third set tie break um so you know good for her and then I think Susan Bandecci also uh, got a win before losing to countrywoman Belinda Bencic Kim, what I want to say, though, is what I, I saw in this tournament, a real rarity, you feel, on the the circuit, is in the first round, Leolia Jean-Jean got a walkover in round one because Tatiana Maria, uh, who did so well at Wimbledon, didn't turn up 
and they couldn't find a lucky loser. And so they just let Jean-Jean into the second round without having to step onto the court. Don't see that very often. So it was quite interesting to see that happen. Surely they could have found someone. Well, surely there would have been like a Swiss junior like lurking around. <laughs> like there as, Just as put the... an announcement out to the crowd. Yeah. Like, thought... Give her like a take on all comers uh, round <laughs> one on the tour. I would absolutely love it. I mean, they probably have to be registered uh, <laughs> rather than just any old person in the crowd. But I'm sure there would have been someone milling around. But I mean, probably a bit ambitious for Maria to to maybe, you know, try and play that so soon after Wimbledon. I don't know. Obviously, Wimbledon was, would have been a very intense experience for her. Although Yul Niemeyer was there and she got through to the quarters, I believe. So, good, you know, good for her. Um, but yeah, I mean, we had a Serbian finalist in Lausanne. We also had a Serbian finalist in Hungary for the Hungarian Grand Prix in Budapest. Um, now, this tournament was won by Bernarda Pera, uh, but she beat Alexandra Krunic at 6-3, 6-3 in the final to win her first WTA tour title so big congrats to her first time winner on the tour um you know we know she's been around a while hasn't she Bernarda Perra and she she is a quite a tricky player to play against she's had a few scalps in her time and I kind of just assumed she'd actually already won a title but I was obviously making an incorrect assumption but she finally has and you know she did it pretty nicely you know didn't drop a set all week and uh took just over an an hour and 20 minutes or so to to beat Krunic in the final and Krunic herself was having a fantastic week as well up to, up to that point so Pera obviously playing very well in that final yeah I mean I watched Pera beat Joe Conta at the Australian Open a few a few years ago when when Conta was in the the top 10 and and I and I was really impressed on that day by by Pera um, and particularly her serve it's just a real kind of weapon for her and when she gets her game together she can be quite a handful um you know for her opponents and um you know it was a you know great for her I think just to you know win on the you know on the WTA tour it's not something she's ever done but as you said I feel like having seen her you know in the in the past I feel like she's a player who's got in you know has got the talent to you know to win on the tour so I'm glad she's almost kind of fulfilled that potential and um, you know she was playing very very well this week she came up against Krunic in the final and Krunic was just on a warpath Kim she won her second round 6-1-6 love her quarterfinal 6-love 6-1 and then she won her semi-final against the defending champion Putintseva 6-2-6-2 so she was in some serious serious form but uh, yeah Pera just a very 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 good player and um yeah i'm i'm happy for her given as i said she's been around for a while and when she's able to put it together she can be a big kind of obstacle and, and challenge on the court and ultimately you know she uh she came through and, and, and won in hungary yeah i think ultimately on the day you know um Krunic, too many unforced errors and mm. not making the most of uh, breakpoint opportunities that she had. So well done to Bernarda Perra. Uh, but let's take a quick break now. Uh, do join us in the second half where we'll be talking about the ATP's off-court coaching trial, Serena Williams continuing her comeback in Toronto and all of the draws coming up on the ATP and WTA tours, including the mixed event out in Hamburg and the tour events in Palermo and Gestad. So do not go anywhere. Welcome back to Tennis Weekly with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And let's move on to a little fun quiz segment, as usual, before we get into the detail of the second half. Um, Now that our Wimbledon coverage is over, Joel, we are back to our regular tour catch-up, which means we do have a game. What have you got for me this week? I have got for you and our listeners a par for the courts, Kim. Par for the courts is back and it's uh it's an interesting one it's a it's a wta related path for the courts listeners if you've not played along with path for the courts before basically i'm going to give kim a topic and from that topic she's going to give me as many right answers as possible and i'm going to set a par score for her to achieve without giving me a wrong answer now kim are you ready for your are you ready for your topic um i am absolutely ready um i'm very sweaty but i'm ready <laughs> 
Are you are you are you feeling the pressure already of of the topic I'm going to give you? Well, this, I'm just this tea that I've been drinking definitely has hasn't cooled me down. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm well. sweating with the pressure now as well. So let, yes. let's get on it. <laughs> I I don't know. I could maybe relieve the pressure by giving you a life, but I feel like I've done that in the past and you've not actually needed it. Okay. Yeah. No. Let's. I'm I'm willing to accept the challenge. So let's go without. Okay. Right. Yeah. I'm going to give you no lives, and I'm going to see how you get on. Okay. So the topic I've got for you is the 2018 WTA Tour end of season finals. These were the finals, the last one in Singapore. And I would like you to name me the top eight players that played in that event. So the eight seeds, as 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 you will, um, that uh, yeah played in the 2018 WTA Tour end of season finals the last one in singapore and now the reason i chose this one kim because it's quite noteworthy because the top four seeds all went out in the round robin stage and actually number five six seven and eight all got through to the semi-finals so i thought you were gonna start singing a step song then joel five six seven eight (laughs) (laughs) don't you think the listeners want to hear that no no i don't i don't think they do um and i'm gonna set the par score at i think there's a lot of a lot of minefields here but i'm gonna set the par score at 50 percent four out of eight this is tricky do you know what? Mm. I remember actually roughly where I was when this event was going on, and that is by a pool in Bali, <laughs> which sounds <laughs> incredibly pretentious, but I just, I remember it was that year and I was like checking the scores by this like nice pool. Um, right, 2018. Okay. Ah, right. I've got a player. Got a player. Sure, this is correct. Caroline Wozniacki. Correct. Yes, she was seeded second in the the uh the tournament and as i said she she went out in the round robin stage uh because that's one she won the ao that year uh simona halep she must have been there unless she was injured simona halep yeah long pause does that mean it's a no (sighs) do you know it's incorrect but but i'm not i'm not it's not a like i'm i'm actually going to give you another life here because she did qualify Ah. but she withdrew due to a back injury right so i'm gonna give you that's like your that is like that's your life okay fair enough i think that's fair thank you thank you very much um (laughs) and i I don't know if ash barty would have been i don't think ash barty would have been doing her thing Although, actually, no, she might have been because she won the French Open the year after. Would she have been in the top eight then? Ooh, no, I'm not ready to put her in yet. How about, I want to say Red Vanska, but was she still playing then? Oh, no, okay. Here's another player. I think this person might have been there. Uh, Angie Kerber? Correct. Yes. yes. And she was the top seed. Oh, okay. Wow. Um, so yeah, Kerber, Wozniacki, both correct, and they were the first and second seeds. And I'm thinking of another player who I like and mention quite a lot, but I feel like she was there the year before. Um, so I'm not going to say her. Ooh, okay. <laughs> I mean, you're halfway to hop. You're halfway to par for the course. Uh, um, it's tough. It's tough. Right. Oh, I suppose the obvious. Oh, actually, is it obvious? Would she have been there? I don't think Serena would have played. Oh, I'm just going to say Serena Williams because she might have been there, but I don't actually have much confidence in that. Serena Williams? Mm. This is really hard. <laughs> Incorrect, oh. Kim. Oh. No, Serena Williams. No, Serena oh, Williams. Oh, dear. Yeah, that was quite tough. I That was quite tough. I'm not going to lie. Um but your eight, your eight players. I mean, any other any other guesses? Who, who are you going to say? Uh, would probably have gone for Kvitova, Benchich. I was thinking of Caroline Garcia, but I think it was the year before she got to the. Oh, was Joe Conta there? Actually, Just had a sudden no. Thought. Joe Conta, uh, okay. Petra Kvitova was there. Oh, okay, so you could have said that. Naomi Osaka, oh, completely was forgot about her. Three. <laughs> um, Sloane Stevens reached the final. Oh wow. And she lost in the final. Svitolina. Svitolina, oh. yes, that was the Did champion. she win? Yeah, suddenly coming back to me now. And number seven and number eight were Karolina Pliskova oh. and 
Kiki Burton. Oh, okay. I would never have said her. Who but, reached yeah. the semi-finals. So uh, yeah, those were your eight: Kerber, Wozniacki, Osaka, Kvitova, Stevens, Svitolina, Pliskova, Burton's. And I, I know I didn't ask for this, Kim, but I'm sure our listeners, if if you were an incredible, have incredible, incredible knowledge, you would have known the two alternates for the event, and they were Kasatkina and Savastova. So. Little little bonus there as well, but um, yeah, quite quite a tough one. I'm not going to lie, but to be fair, I feel like you've been getting par for the courts quite reg- quite frequently, quite regularly. So I'm sort of glad this has sort of put you back in your it's put you back in your place. Oh, thanks. I mean, I think <laughs> I think anyone who knew Sevastopol as the alternate like they deserve a gold medal. That's that's really difficult. Yeah. Uh, but thank you very much, listeners. I hope you enjoyed that challenge. I know I certainly. Well, I don't know about enjoyed, but I um, found that very <laughs> tough, I have to say. Mm. So thanks, Joel. And we do have a question from the Tennis Weekly mailbag. Uh, so John got in contact with us on email. Thank you, John. Uh, John's question was, following Wimbledon's move to take Henman Hill to New York City, which city would you like them to take it next? So anyone who didn't see, um, there was like a Henman Hill version set up in in New York, which was quite fun. We put it on our Twitter about a week ago or so. Um, so John, uh, thank you for your question. Oh, this is quite tough. Where would you where would you like the hill to be uh, taken to, Joel? <laughs> yeah, I I'm not gonna lie. When I thought about other cities, I did not think about time zones and whether it works from that perspective i just thought about it more from like open opening up tennis and i would quite like to see hemman hill go to south america i think it would just be great to see um you know sort of you know wimbledon it will pride itself on exclusivity it's a special event and i want them to open it i want them to open it up even further and i wonder if they could take it to somewhere like rio de janeiro or mexico city or guadalajara some you know some place where um it would just look very very i think eye-catching and uh i think would be very very cool and and interesting um for like new york city is very on brand for for uh for wimbledon to take hedman hill so i wonder whether they could maybe push the boat out a bit further and go to a city where it feels like they're taking tennis to you know, new new audiences. And I wonder if, for me, South America could potentially be on the cards. Yeah, have like a very tropical Henman Hill. Mm. I think that sounds good. I was thinking more of places that already had hills, <laughs> which doesn't really make sense <laughs> unless something, yeah, they could make use of an existing hill. Well, I was thinking Rio de Janeiro, the... Uh, the, um, the Sugarloaf Mountain. Yes, yes. <laughs> that would be a very steep I mean, so, hill. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking Rome or Sheffield, like, because they're built on seven hills and that just... Mm. I don't know, I'm thinking of hills generally. Or Lisbon, I think, has a few hills. That would be quite fun okay um very nice places not, not croydon town center that would significantly improve croydon town center so <laughs> yes maybe and that's just a tram ride away from wimbledon so they wouldn't have to go very far you know that'd be much more environmentally friendly wouldn't it <laughs> but no thank you john good question uh listeners where would you take the hill to let us know your thoughts um and that brings us on to our our news from the world of tennis um First of all, Joel, this week we've got uh, the ATP's off-court coaching. Um, it started to be trialled uh, for the second half of the season. Uh, so basically, coaching will be allowed from designated coach seats during both qualifying mm. and main draw matches at ATP Tour events. And this started last week. Um, it's also going to be happening at the US Open and at the ATP Finals in Turin. So, um I mean, what do you make of this? Obviously, it's a trial, so it may not may not last. But I think you know it's mm. going to be interesting to see how how certain players get on. Maybe certain players won't really benefit. But um, obviously, the women's tour are already doing it, so and that's been on play, in place for a while. Um, but what, what are your initial thoughts? It's it's interesting that it's only just I think you know come to the the ATP tour as a trial, given that it's been on the WTA tour now for what feels like a while. I feel like their trial is is still going on and maybe they haven't got a decision yet. And adding the ATP tour into the mix and having it kind of consistent across both tours means that they can make a a decision further down the line that perhaps is equal, you know, across, you know, both men and women. I still kind of think that 
in principle the same sorts of things when I heard the trial was going to happen on the you know on the WTA side in the sense that for me tennis is a, a is an individual sport and you know when players step onto the court you know they should not be having to get the support from their coaches in order to kind of figure out how to win a tennis match I think the role of a coach is to get their player ready before they step on the court I don't think that they should be able to have any sort of uh, legal influence you know during the game now this has obviously caused great debate it was interesting that Patrick Muratoglu, super coach, um, you know, coach of Simona Halep, uh, he tweeted, congratulations to the ATP for legalizing a practice that has been going on at almost every match for decades. No more hypocrisy. So I guess there is that acknowledgement that this sort of thing goes on at the moment. I think, you know, we all see, for example, Stefanos Sissipas. There have been matches where he has certainly, I think, been in communication with with his box. But I, I just feel like it depends maybe on what your definition of a coach is. And and for me, a coach should be getting their player ready for the match. It shouldn't. The coach's sort of boundaries, I don't think, should evolve to a point that it's influencing during the match as well. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, Kyrgios actually came out and said that, you know, he very much disagrees with, with this coaching and that, you know, it doesn't really seem equitable because if you've got like a high profile player who can afford like a super coach like a Moratoglu, they're coming on giving you all this info and, and, and advice versus someone who can't afford a coach. Like that's not really like at all a level playing field I mean when is tennis ever a level playing field but it's it's one thing that you can at least make equal um whilst the match is going on um and yeah like like and I I think obviously he was saying as well it's tennis is one of the only sports where you kind of do have to figure out on your own once once you're on that court and um that is one of the the it's what makes beauty of it yeah exactly um and the coach is designed to enable you up to that point but yeah when all is said and done it's it's just you on that court it's an individual sport and but I guess the other side is that coaches are coaching anyway and it's kind of just this this rule kind of legalizes what's already like sneakily happening and what is just going on generally um I guess we'll have to give it time and see see how it influences things and I, I think you know it'll be I'm curious to see the comparisons made between the fact that it is now happening on the men's side and on the women's side and whether there's any similarities or, or differences there it's going to be part of the the US Open the final Grand Slam of the year coming up as well so again it'll be fascinating to see how that plays out because I feel like some of the biggest kind of talking points have been around coaching so having this in place arguably does it bring another sort of level of um, simplicity particularly for umpires so they're not having to worry about um, you know coaching um, from the you know, point of view that it's illegal and I have to be on top of it and give warnings or, or whatever for it uh, now that that isn't the case does it help them kind of just focus on the on the match itself so I do think there is an argument to say that it's going to help umpires and I think in the, in the men's side at the moment, I feel like sometimes they need all the help they can get if they've got someone like a, a Nick Kyrgios on on the court. But um, yeah, I think um, I think there's going to be inevitably people who are going to be for it. There are going to be people against it. But oh, yeah, for me, I just think that it's an individual sport and a coach. I think that they should just be they can only, they can only do so much before it's over to the player. And you know, for me, it's it's the locker room and then. You have your final talk and then it's down to the player once they step onto the court. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like I'm, I'm on the same side. My default is that you shouldn't really be doing all of this, but mm. I'm willing to give it time and see see how it goes. Um, I mean, obviously, if, if there is any hindrance caused to the other player from coaching, that is still not allowed. So there are still penalties and fines for any abuse of the new rules, um, but it's going to be evaluated at the end of the season. So I do think... I do think that, you know, it can be insightful for fans and it could be quite interesting from a TV point of view to see and hopefully, you know, hear that that discourse, you know, really get that insight into kind of the the interaction between a coach and a a player during a match. I feel like we get that already when we see like Daniel Medvedev and Nick Kyrgios kind of shout at their, you know, shout at their boxes. But this, you know, feels like it could lead to a more constructive environment where, 
fans are going to get real value, I think, from that interaction versus at the moment when we just see players just sort of hurling abuse at their, their box and, and it's just like a one-way dialogue. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I think <laughs> it's certainly going to be, it might, might cause some uh, interesting debates we'll have to see how we get on mm. there might be certain occasions that this comes up uh, so we'll be certainly discussing that if it does <laughs> um other news from the week joel we've had serena williams announce she will carry on her comeback at the uh the national bank open in toronto uh which will be next month so she signed up to play the event which is early august um and I assume she's going to play the US Open. This is a, a good uh, warm-up event for that. And I think it's sensible to go into a, a slam, you know, having played some sort of warm-up event, which, you know, she only played the doubles, didn't she, at, at Eastbourne before Wimbledon. So I think she's learned already that she can't just kind of rock up without playing any singles matches, maybe. So hopefully this will help her. Um, and, you know, good for Canadian fans. They'll get to see her back in action. So we don't know what's happening beyond that, but she's playing no. Toronto and then the US Open, I guess, uh, for now. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree. I think, you know, she's a player who, no matter how many Grand Slams she's won and, uh, you know, tr- trophies she's won, I think what Wimbledon probably showed her is that she can't just, you know, turn up and expect to, you know, expect to perform. I understand that, you know, she went into Wimbledon with no expectation and, I think that probably showed in terms of her, um, you know, her lead up to the event, you know, playing doubles with with Jabour in Eastbourne, and that and that was it. It's not the best preparation, even for someone of Serena Williams' is, is magnitude. So I think certainly this is a a smart move. I don't know if they're going to be other kind of comeback events. It's interesting she's using her protected ranking, so this isn't going to be on a on a wild card. She's going to be using a protected ranking to come into this event. And, you know, we'll see we'll see how she gets on. I think the US Open is going to be, you know, I think, again, it's going to be very, very open like Wimbledon. And I think perhaps that that will motivate her and, and maybe give her that, that inspiration that she needs and, and, you know, is maybe thinking like, ooh, maybe there is a chance for me here. But in order to maximise that chance, lead-up events are certainly going to help. Absolutely. We'll look forward to seeing how she gets on. Come, uh, I think, the 8th of August is the Toronto tournament. So just in a couple of weeks' time. I'm sure she's preparing hard for that. Uh, but we do have some events this week. Uh, we've got a mixed event out in Hamburg in Germany. This is a uh, ATP 500 event and a WTA 250. Is this the first time that this event has been mixed or am I kind of not remembering it as being a mixed event because I think it's great that it is mixed but I don't remember it being mixed before no all I can remember Kim is the absolutely shocking trophy (laughs) that the the male champion gets which it's just like it's just like a yellow squiggle it's artistic, Joel. Modern <laughs> art. I swear we've had this argument before on the pod. <laughs> yeah, it's. I think Basilashvili won it last year, didn't he? And uh, mm. yeah, got a nice photo of him holding the the artwork. Um, but yeah, for the men's side of things, Carlos Alcaraz is the top seed. Uh, Rublev is the second seed. We've got uh, Serendolo, um, Bublik in the draw. Uh, so, you know, recent champions and champions and finalists um Botic van der Zandschulp is there PCB Sebastian Baez um so yeah Feliciano Lo- oh, oh wait no Feliciano oh. Lopez not there oh well it's a clay event <laughs> he's gonna just want to maximize the grass oh, there isn't any more grass is there that is officially over I think yeah uh, <laughs> but no there's so yeah we've got um we've got that going on and uh the women's side of things Annette Contivate is the top seed and Kazatkina is the second seed um Interesting to see if Bernardo Pera can, you know, have another week uh, on the trot doing well. Krunich as well in the draw. Um, yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, looking at the women's draw and the men's, I, I can't see an out-and-out champion apart from Carlos Alcaraz, who I think, you know, probably is the favourite. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I certainly would say Alcaraz is the top seed and I think he goes in, yeah, as as the favourite. Um, yeah, I think he's, you know, he's done well on the clay this season at the 500 level so uh yeah i wouldn't be surprised if we you see him him go deep in the tournament but you know he could come up against Baez in in the second round so you know not 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 too easy and you know he's not played since uh you know the grass so again there's going to be that 
odd sort of transition back to yes what feels like a more natural surface for him but again it could throw up some sort of obstacles for him to overcome but he has a wild card in the in the first round so ha- hopefully he gets a bit more sort of time to just sort of get used to being back on the clay um before potentially uh yeah second round match against uh Baez. And we also have the Gestad uh, event in Switzerland, which I know every year we always say it's confusing because we have Bastad and Gestad. <laughs> We're like broken records. Um, but Kasparud is top seed here. Um, he'll be trying to uh, defend his title from last year. Um, Ber- Matteo Berrettini is back as well as the second seed. Um, hopefully he's all okay after having that COVID withdrawal at Wimbledon. Um, and who else do we have? RBA. Dominic team. Ramos Vinolas. Oh, Dominic team. He's got Ugo Gaston in the first round. Yeah, hopefully Dominic team can have a... I'd love to see him put a great week together and like get to the semis or, or the final. Well, he's in a quite a good... He's in a quite good part of the draw because obviously he beat RBA last mm. week. If you can come, maybe come up and cause the upset, get Gaston. Yeah, he's got... I feel like an opportunity potentially there, um, you know, to make further inroads and further strides and build on the the momentum he he got last week. So I think that looks quite encouraging for him. We also have for him finally Palermo in Italy, WTA two fifty. Lots of Italians and lots of Italians in the top half of this draw. Trevisan is the top seed. She could face. I mean. I mean, she's got Caroline Garcia in her quarter. Putintseva is the second seed. And we've got Sara Saribes Tormo, Begu, Parizas Diaz. I mean, lots of kind of classic kind of clay quarters. But um, yeah, we'll have to see how it goes. Are you feeling confident about Caroline Garcia? The renaissance is well and truly going to happen fully this week. I mean, yeah, well, she already won a title, didn't she? So mm. it could be two in the space of a month or so. <laughs> she, she's got a really good sh- shot at this one. I'm, I'm fully confident. Mm. Come on, Caro. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, we'll, we'll be back next week to, to see what Caroline Garcia and co have been up to. <laughs> I promise you, I will Kim, stop I swear talking about just, her now. <laughs> you, I swear our tour catch-ups are literally just becoming like, what is Caroline Garcia doing on the tour this week? <laughs> well, if they, to be fair, it wasn't for a long time because she wasn't doing much. Um, but now she is. So there we go. I've just got to make the most of it. But we haven't mentioned Fernando Vadasco this week. You'll be pleased to know. That is very true. Except for that right is very then. true. Uh, but yeah, we'll be back uh, on, well, next Monday. But we do have some special special things in the works, Joel, I believe. Yeah, until then. Yes, listeners, we've got a few other episodes that have already been released and also coming up. Um, we were lucky to go see the new John McEnroe documentary the other week and I got a chance to sit down with the director Barney Douglas and composer Felix White in a film club episode that episode is already up on Apple Podcasts Spotify and wherever you get your podcasts so make sure to give that a listen we also excitingly are recording our next book club episode on Thursday we're going to be speaking with Mike Dixon the tennis correspondent for the Daily Mail about his new book Emma Raducanu when tennis came home so any questions for Mike let us know on social media or drop us an email we'd love to hear them and finally we've got Chris Tennis Weekly Chris uh, he was at Bashdad, and if you just listen on to the end of this episode after the music, he's going to give us a little diary entry from his time there. So if you're ever thinking about going to Bashdad or you just want to hear what it's like, make sure to listen to the, the complete end of the episode. Yeah, thank you, Chris, for uh, for being our eyes and ears on the ground out in, <laughs> in Sweden. Um, he's in Hamburg. He's in Hamburg. I think he's going to Hamburg as well this week. Well, so, uh... he's based in Copenhagen, right? So they're quite... Like Hamburg's pretty mm. near, actually, so he can he can do all our European scouting for us. Yes, <laughs> and he can make a diary entry for us all the time. Absolutely. But uh, yes, so we'll uh, well we'll look we'll look forward to that one, and I'll look forward to hearing about Bashdad as well. But uh, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this latest catch up with Tennis Weekly. Remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action on the ATP and WTA tours on whatever device you listen to us on. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcasting platforms out there. You can also listen to us on the DownloadTennis.com app. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And you can follow us on social media 
Uh, we are on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Tennis Weekly Pod. So do give us a like and a follow if you don't already. And let us know any questions, feedback, comments you may have for us. If you prefer, you can reach us via email as well, tennisweeklypod at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our website as well, www.tennisweekly.co.uk. And we will be back next Monday at Tennis Weekly HQ for our next tour catch up. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We will see you again soon. Hello, this is Chris. And once again, Joel has asked me to do a little overview as to what it was like to attend the Nordea Open in Borstal, which you might know as Bastad, but that's how you say it, I learned whilst I was there. Um, for those of you who don't know, that is in Sweden. Um, I'm based in Copenhagen, and it's just a short train ride, about two and a half hours from Copenhagen, um, similar from Malmö and from Gothenburg. It's slightly longer. Um, and it's on the west coast of Sweden. It's a ATP 250 and a WTA 125. And Bosta is a really nice summer vacation town in Sweden. So everyone who's there pretty much population-wise is there for the summer vacation. And in Scandinavia, people take their holiday um, all in one go and they go to their summer houses. So it's full of summer houses and that creates a really lovely vibe at the tennis because the Nordea Open is kind of the biggest thing that happens there. So there are yachts, there are uh, boats that are all in the port and in the harbour um, and that population and the tourist population that's there really does make up the majority of the people who will be at the tennis. So people are there for a nice time and it creates a lovely atmosphere. Um I bought my ticket quite last minute and I managed to get a front row seat, so I cannot complain. Um, but the seats are really reasonably priced. They want people to in town to come to the, the matches. They want it to be uh, full. Um, and it was pretty jam-packed, even from the, the first doubles, which was the final. Um, and that was a match where there were some people that I hadn't necessarily heard of before playing um, in the form of uh, David Vega Hernandez and Rafael Matos who actually won the title, and they were playing against uh, Simon Bolelli and Fabio Fognini. Um, and I did not know that Fabio was seven in the race at the moment, um, him and Bolelli in their doubles partnership, um, having picked up a title early this year, and also a final in Sydney, I think. Um, so they're on some, some good form. Um, and true to Fabio's style, he really um, did not wake up. But when he did, we saw some glimpses of some great tennis, they probably should have won it. It was very edgy at the end, but I think um, the the lesser known pair of Hernandez Vega and Matos um, got very nervous and they needed some help, which um, Fabio and Bolelli happily provided. Um, but it's good to see that Fabio is having kind of a good double season with Bolelli. I know they won the 2015 Australian Open, I think. Uh, and that was a very entertaining match going 6-4, 3-6, 13-11, um, if you're a, a Fabio fan, it was it was very painful um, with all the match points saved, match points themselves, and then not being able to get over the line. Um, but nevertheless, all you can hope for in a doubles final that it was action packed and super exciting and tight. The doubles um, was followed by the singles, um, which I well as soon as I texted Joel to say that I was coming to this, he immediately responded and said, it "Looks like you'll be seeing you'll see Casper Rudd." Um, and I thought I'd be seeing Casper Rudd pick up the title. And um, he was eliminated by the older Serendulo brother. Um, and that was a big upset early in the tournament in the second round, because normally Casper likes to pick up these 250s, much to the annoyance of Nick Kyrgios. Um, but it was an all-Argentinian affair between uh, Francisco Serendulo and Sebastian Baez. And it was a very good match. Again, there were some nerves at the start. Uh, it was great to see two clay quarters really in their element. And when they did settle down, we had some great points towards the end of the first set. Again, lots of opportunities missed. I think in total, there were 24 break points and only four were taken. So pretty cagey. 
Um, but I was super impressed by Serendulo's forehand, especially, and his um, and the movement of Bayez. He's a great mover, um, but didn't quite have the weapons on the day. But the forehand of Serendulo really did do an awful lot of damage. Um, and it's his first title. So he's now um, joining his brother, his younger brother, as um, an ATP uh, title holder. So he was very pleased to, to win and it was a great atmosphere. Um, but it's a, it's a fantastic event and I would recommend anyone to go. Um, it's held in the grounds of, well, with, well, very close to the grounds and within the grounds of um, a hotel. So it's kind of a a tennis sort of resort in the form of Hotel Skansen, it's called, which is where I stayed, um, actually in the tennis pavilion. And so you're right amongst where the players are staying, which is, well, I mean, it's great to be up close to people um, and all of the officials are staying there. And it's um, quite a luxury sort of place. It's quite a bougie um, tournament as far as these things go. Uh, and if you're looking for um, a, a sort of a, a tennis tournament, which is very easy, um, it's super... Um, kind of uh, an easy way to see tennis up close, the players up close and really kind of be right in there with, in the tournament as it's all happening, then I fully recommend it. I think it's a wonderful tournament to visit. Um, there's a, I could, well, you can see why the players like it so much because it is what, the phenomenal facilities. There is a second court as well as the main stadium court, which is also a lovely court and a couple more that are a bit closer to the water. I would say though that um, the wind can be a challenge there. It was certainly very windy when I was there, and I think Rublev um, suffered in the wind, uh, but the Argentinians managed to get the job done and handle it a lot better. Um, so bring something uh, that will keep out the wind, a windproof jacket or something, because even on a sunny day, you can get pretty chilly. Um, and that's coming from someone who lives in Copenhagen where it's very windy. But uh, overall, I would say it's a fantastic tournament. The vibe is uh, people who are very keen to watch tennis. They're very engaged. It's a, it's, I mean, it's a lovely tournament and a very easy one to attend if you can get yourself there. Um, I mean, it couldn't be easier if you're staying at Hotel Skansen, which is where the tennis takes place. But yeah, couldn't rec- recommend it more. I had an absolutely lovely time and might try and drag Joel there next year. <laughs> 